Thank you, everybody. David G., alcoholic addict of many sorts, and uh, very, very grateful to be here with you guys tonight. As always, Ashley, thank you so much for your service and all that you do for the various fellowships. And thank you, Dennis, as always, for all you do with the recordings. And just without you guys, this wouldn't be a meeting. And uh, definitely without the ones that continue to show up every week to support it. So thank you to everybody that come out. As I said, I am David G. I'm an alcoholic and I'm an addict of many sorts with a recovery date of August 8th, 1994 and of October 1st, 2019. And one of the S fellowships that I'm a part of, very grateful to be had a life-changing experience through this work in 1995, and I had another life-changing experience. I had several along the way, but really, I think the biggest one for me come in 2019, when I'd reached an emotional bottom inside of the rooms of Alcoholic Anonymous after many years of living a double life and trying to carry a message that I wasn't qualified to carry. And so today, whenever I speak from the podium or I speak from behind the camera or I get into this book, I try to talk about the truth about me and about my beliefs and about the concepts and about the ideas that I tried to hold on to with an experience that happened to me here many years ago. One of my first sponsors always said to me, yesterday's miracle is not sufficient for today. We need a new one. And, you know, that sounded really good. So that's what we say when we get behind the podium or whatever. Well, the day come whenever those words were very true in my own life and I needed a new experience and I was forced into that experience. <laughs> through my beliefs, my ideas, my concepts. And so we've been looking at that all the way through this. We looked at it very in-depth in step one. We're looking at it again in step two. It's so important that we understand that we suffer from a set of beliefs that have dominated us and has driven us to act out, to drink, to do the behaviors that we do. It's kept us sick inside of sobriety. It's brought emotional turmoil in my life, even in sobriety. And I think, well, if I just work the steps or I believe more in God and I do this or that, I will be okay. I will just go through this process to work again and I'll be okay. And that's almost like self trying to overcome self with spiritual principles in the book is what I've come to learn. So one of the things is not so much do I believe, but what do I believe? And what do I believe based on the experience that I've had? I believe that's the experience is enough to continue to hold me for the rest of my years in sobriety. Or am I willing to take a look at some of those beliefs and say, you know, I may have just missed something. So that's what we've been trying to do here. We've looked at the top of page 47 where we'll be tonight. Now, it came to my understanding this week that there are some folks that have one of the newer edition of the book. And so if you look at page 47, you'll probably see something completely different than what we're looking at in the fourth edition. So if you have a book like that, if you will just find the chapter, We Agnostics, which is chapter four, and you'll turn to the right just a couple of pages, you'll be right where we're at, no matter what that page number is. And so that's where I would like to pick up tonight. Now, last week, we looked at two of three exercises that's laid out in the big book. The second one being spiritual terms. Now, I had no idea that terms was something that had me blocked. But when it asked me to honestly ask myself what these things mean to me, I could begin to see pretty quick that a lot of the things that I believed about terms were pretty insane, actually. Take the word God. That was huge for me. Now, I think I know what that means. I, I have a pretty good idea. And 
as it comes to find out that I have all kinds of beliefs around different terms, creator, all this stuff. So for me, I want to take a look at these terms. And the book says on page 47 that this is to affect our first conscious relation with God as we understood him. And it says afterwards, we found ourselves accepted many things, which then seemed entirely out of reach. Now, when I first came here, as you heard me share last week, and as you looked at my list, as I had Ashley to put that on the screen for us, you will see that some of the biggest issues that I had was with Christianity. And it wasn't so much what I had learned about God as what they had taught me. They had told me these different things that as the years went on, I came to change my belief about. And today, like it says, we find ourselves accepting many things, which then seemed entirely out of reach. I can accept many things today in the Christian faith, and I'm very grateful for that. I am. So no longer do I let terms block me from really asking myself, what does this honestly mean to me? And when I take a look at this and I begin to see what beliefs serve me and which ones don't, then I'm able to ask for their removal as I move through the rest of the steps. And really, when my beliefs change, my actions change. And when my actions change, I no longer suffer from the same things that I suffered from before. See, lust and acting out really never was the problem. It was always the solution to the problem. And anytime you took that away, I had a problem because it cut me off from what I felt gave me power. And so the step says we come to believe that a power not in a power. There's a big difference in that. A lot of us already come here believing in something. So we come to believe that a power greater than self can restore us to sanity. So obviously insanity must be the problem. Obviously powerlessness must be the problem. The answer must be power and it must be sanity. And so come to find out I'm disconnected from power. That's the only thing that's wrong with me. I'm not disconnected from belief. I'm disconnected from power. So we pick up tonight on page 47. We're going to drop down to the second full paragraph on the page. And it says we needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe? Now, remember the agnostic. He does believe that there is God. Now, he doesn't really rely on the power of God like most of us. We seen last week that that word agnostic, gnostic, really means knowledge, and anytime you put A-G in front of any word, it just means without. So the word agnostic means without knowledge. And so when I come in here, I have the knowledge of what I had when I was a young boy, and they took me into that church, and it screwed the hell out of me. And I thought that's what God is. And that was my idea from then on moving forward. It wasn't until I got here that I was able to change that idea. I didn't change God. And see, that's what I kept getting hung up with, and I think so many of us do. We think that we have to change who God is, and that's not possible. I need to change my conception of what this power is if it's not working for me. And if I can do that, and I can get something that I can live with, and I can have a relationship with, then I no longer fear the power. I begin to come together with it. And when that happens, I start to recover. So he says, do I now believe? That's the agnostic. He does believe. Or am I even willing to believe that's the atheist? It does say that atheist says that I can prove that there is no God. If he's even willing to believe that there's a God, the book says as soon as a man can say that he does believe, that's the agnostic, 
or he's even willing to believe that's the atheist, we emphatically assure him that he is on his way. It has been repeatedly proven among us upon this simple cornerstone, and we're going to pay close attention to that word, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. It's almost as if I'm on the bus now, but I'm really not going anywhere. Just because I come to believe something doesn't really mean that I've taken action based on that belief to get any kind of results. We're going to see an example of that with Columbus coming up in the book. You know, here was a man that stood on the shore and absolutely defied what they said every day. They told him that the earth was flat. And if you sell out there so far, you went off the end of it. You never come back. He said, I don't believe that. He said, I believe that you can get east by going west and you can do all this stuff. But as long as he stood there and talked about that, that's all it was, was talk. A belief with no action is just a belief. It's not until we take action based on that belief that we begin to get results. And that's exactly what this program asks us to do. We come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. We start taking a walk toward that power. We do certain simple things, and the effect is we start to have an experience based on a belief that has changed. It's beautiful how it's laid out. So it says, that was great news to us, for we had assumed, well, I want to pay attention to that. Anytime I start making assumptions with a sick mind, mm, I've assumed that I could not make use of spiritual principles unless I accepted many things on faith which seemed difficult to, keyword here, believe. Now, I thought unless I accepted the way that my grandmother and my mother did at that Pentecostal church in Oklahoma, that there were things that was going to happen to me wasn't very pleasant. In fact, they told me those things. And I don't know if I heard that throughout the years so much as someone saying that, but that's exactly what I heard in my mind. That's what I believe based on what I learned when I was real little about that. I no longer believe that today. What's changed? My belief. That's the only thing that has changed. So when I first come here, like them, I assumed, keyword, that I could not make use of any kind of spiritual principles unless I accepted those things that I had been taught as a child. Thank God that's not the truth today because I couldn't accept those, and a lot of them I still don't. Now, I'm not talking about God. I'm talking about the various practices. When people presented us with spiritual approaches, how frequently did we all say, I wish I had what that man has. Man, I've seen that I don't know how many times in meetings. I would go or I would listen to a speaker and I'd think, God, I wish I had what that guy had. Man, I wish I could believe only like he believes. But I cannot accept as surely true the many articles on faith which are so plain to him. It seems so simple. But here's the good news. Look at the sentence. It is comforting to learn that I can commence. I can start, in other words, at a simpler level. Thank God for that. Because had that not been the case, I could not have walked into Alcoholics Anonymous in 1994 and begin to believe on the level that some of these people are on. I just couldn't do that. The good news is I don't have to. Besides the seeming inability to accept much on faith, and that seems to be my trouble, I have a seeming inability to accept. It's not that I have an inability, but it sure does seem that way. Now, my mind has me convinced that if I accept these things, I'm going to be weak or this God is going to get me and I've got to do all these certain things or else when in reality there is nothing I can do other than change my belief. I was sitting in a meeting one time and we were all sitting around and we were talking about the past and we were all saying, 
There's absolutely nothing we can do to change the past. Not one thing. And I believe that to be true for the most part. But there was an old wise elder that was sitting there. He's an Indian guy. And he listened to that for about as long as he could take it. And finally, he come up and he said, you know what? I'm going to tell you all that you're wrong. He said, there is something that you can change about your past. And I thought, really? Well, cool. And he said, that's how you feel and believe about it right now. So if you feel and believe that you've been damaged beyond repair in the past, you're probably going to live your life that way. You're going to continue to be the victim. And what's going to happen is all kinds of trouble and frustration and all this is going to continue to follow you. Now, there's things that has happened to us when we were little. We had absolutely no control. I mean, I understand that. I can't change any of that. But I can change the way I feel about it today. And what I feel is those people were sick, just the same as me, maybe more. Today, I have a little more compassion in that area than I did before, where I once hated those men. Today, I feel compassion, and there has been forgiveness. So, very powerful. Well, it says to be sure to read the appendix, too, but we've done that in the prior weeks. And if you missed that, it would be good to go back and listen to some of the recordings to pick up on that. So, I don't want to do that again over here. He's talked about it two or three times. Be sure to read appendix two. Be sure. Take a look at you know, and here it is again. Please be sure to read Appendix 2 on the spiritual experience. It keeps saying that over and over. So my idea of a spiritual experience is what I believe one time when I was in a church and there was a lady that was having what I would call a fit. And, you know, I remember asking what was wrong with her and they said she was having a spiritual experience. So when I came here and I heard that you have to have a spiritual experience in order to recover my thoughts keyword my thoughts ran right back to that and I thought there's no way I can do that but thank God that's not the truth and so I encourage you to read the spiritual experience in the back of the book top of page 48 we often found ourselves handicapped by obstinacy all that word means is fixed ideas sensitiveness anybody ever suffer from that sober without any chemicals in their body whatsoever it may be an unreasoning prejudice, which is an old idea. Many of us have been so touchy that even casual reference to spiritual things made us bristle with antagonism. Keywords. This sort of thinking had to be abandoned because it's that sort of thinking that is keeping me sick. And when I come in and I get sober and I get away from alcohol and I get away from drugs and I get away from acting out, and I start to have an emotional meltdown and I begin to think that life isn't treating me right. And I go into sadness and I get into depression and I do all these things, but I'm doing what I've been told to do. Just come to meetings and don't drink and act out. Sober is not well for a guy like me. I need a program of recovery. I need some way to take a look at these beliefs. Do they serve me or do they not? And if they don't, then I need to become willing to let them go. This sort of thinking had to be abandoned. There's a prayer in the book that is never used hardly by anybody. In fact, I haven't even started using it myself until probably the last few months. And we hear it read every time that we read how it works. If you're in an open meeting of AA, you hear it every time. It says, we asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Those two words, we asked. That's a prayer. Anytime I read those two words in this book, that's a prayer. So if I ask for protection and care every day from a complete abandon, it's not from the things on the outside of me that are going to come to get me. It's for the things on the inside of me that is going to manifest themselves, and they're going to become a reality 
that's what I need protection and care from. And right here, it tells me this sort of thinking has to be abandoned. So I'm going to use the protection prayer as laid out on page 58. And so though some of us resisted, and I don't even like to think that it's some of us, I think it's the self. I think this resist, there's a resistance on the inside of us to these things. And it'll start to throw great obstacles in our path. You know, I'll start to fight with my spouse or I'll get into it with one of my sponsees or, you know, I just don't agree with this or I don't agree with that. It really doesn't matter because the book says right here, we found no great difficulty in casting aside keyword here, such feelings, because this is what's beating me up in sobriety. I think it's the depression and I think it's the sadness, but that's just a result of this here. This is the culprit. We've seen that over and over and over. We've seen it in chapter three, very in-depth, with the man of 30, with Jim, with the jaywalker, with Fred. And now we're seeing it in our own lives. These are the things that continue to defeat us and keep us in a place in our recovery and our sobriety that keeps us from recovery. So faced with alcoholic destruction, that's step one. We soon become as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on the other questions. And I guarantee you, if you've had very much of a heartache and a headache inside of your sobriety, there comes a time that we become willing to go to any lengths to do something different. And what I don't realize is I'm going to have to change a whole lot of the things that go on inside this head. And I can't do that without this power. So I need to connect to this power. It says it, talking about the alcoholic destruction, sexaholic, whatever it may be, it finally beats me into a state of reasonableness. And that's step one, as it's outlined in this book. It will do that for me. People say, oh, I need to experience step one. Well, just hang around a little bit. I'll guarantee you're going to experience step one here, especially whenever you start moving through this work in the book. It's not always a pleasant process in the beginning. It becomes that way. Don't get me wrong, but we have to walk through a little darkness to get to the light. It says, sometimes this was a tedious process. We hope no one else will be as prejudiced, these old ideas, for as long as some of us were. I like that word, were. It doesn't say that we are. It says were. That's past tense. That's a promise. So the reader, David, may still ask why he should believe in a power greater than himself. I got my tail handed to me inside of sobriety. I've been acting out all these years. I'm about to lose my marriage. My home is all gone. My children, everything in my life is gone. But I may still ask myself, why should I believe in a power greater than myself? Well, for me, it's not so all of those things will straighten up and my life will be better. I had that idea for a long time. It's so that I will straighten up and straighten out on the inside and my life will reflect that of a recovered man and my life will get better. There is no doubt about it. So I'm not going to change what's on the outside of me in order for me to get better. We're going to go through this process and change what goes on on the inside of us. We automatically get better. That's just the way it works. <laughs> We've seen it over and over and over. So it says we think there's some good reason. Let's have a look at some of that. We're not going to look at all of them, but we want to look at some of them. So the practical individual of the day is a stickler for facts and results. Think about that. Even in your own marriage, in your own life, with sponsors, whatever. I like facts. And I like results. I do. It says, nevertheless, the 20th century readily accepts. I think that's key word. Accepts theories 
of all kinds, provided that they're firmly grounded. In fact, we have numerous theories, for example, about electricity. I can guarantee you turn off the light behind you, it'll probably go off. You turn it on, it'll turn on as long as the power line is connected. But once that power goes out, try to do that. And that's kind of how it is on the inside of us. Once that light goes out and we're not able to get that turned back on, it's not that the light isn't there anymore. It's just that we have been disconnected from power. And that has taken our light away. When I look at a flower outside, and I learned this from an old native era elder, really I don't see the flower as much as I see the light that radiates the beauty of the flower. And I never knew that. He said, well, walk out and look at it in the dark. Do you see the beauty of it then if it's pitch black? No, I don't. What's the difference? The light. The light is controlled by the power. And so is the growth. And so is light brings growth. And so my ideas changed that day. The flower didn't change. The light didn't change. The darkness didn't change. My idea about all of it changed. And that's all it's asking us to do here. So we have numerous theories about that. Boy, I, I hate having theories. Gosh. Everybody believes them without a murmur of doubt. And if I believe that without a murmur of doubt, that's just the way it is. Why this ready acceptance? Simply because it is impossible to explain what we feel, see, direct, and use as a reasonable assumption as a starting point. And that's what I want to try to base reality on is what I see and how I feel and the way I direct all of this stuff. And when that doesn't work out for me, then I think that I've done something wrong and I run around trying to search for God and the whole time he's right here. <laughs> he's right here within me. I'm just disconnected from power. So everybody nowadays believes in scores of assumptions for which there is good evidence, but no perfect visual proof. And for most of us, that's what we want. I want visual proof. Even my wife, whenever all of this went down, she said, I don't want to hear about how you change. I want to see how you change. She wanted visual proof of that. Understandably so. Absolutely. It says, does not science demonstrate the visual proof is the weakest? Because I can show you something all day long. But if I'm not showing that in every area of my life when you're not around, then it is weak. Is it constantly being revealed that man, as mankind studies the material world, that outward appearances is not inward reality at all? We see that all the time. Look at this illustration. The prosite steel girders and massive electrons whirling around each other at incredible speed. I never knew that. Hell, I never knew what a prosite steel girder was, for one thing. But it's a beam that is one of the strongest structures inside of any building. And it's saying that really, based on what's going on on the inside of that, it's probably the weakest. Now, when I look at that example and I look at my own life and I look at the way that I showed up in Alcoholics Anonymous, I was talking, I had all, these crowd, all this crowd doing all this and this. But there was something going on the inside of me that was very dark and it was very secretive and it was very ugly. And it's kind of what that's talking about here. It says that girders are massive electrons whirling around each other at incredible speed. If you take a microscope and put on that beam and you look into it, you'll see all these little tiny bodies on the inside of it. And it says that's governed by a precise law. And these laws hold true throughout the material world. Science tells us so. We really have no reason to doubt it. Doubt being the key word. Where does doubt come from? It comes from the mind. It comes from the self. I can see the truth. But a lot of times I don't want to accept it. I doubt it. When, however, the perfectly logical assumption is suggested that underneath the material world and life as we see it, 
and all-powerful guiding creative intelligence. Now, here's more terms as listed back over on 47. I want to pay attention to these because here's what happened. Here's what self does. Look at how it works. Right there, the perverse streak comes to the surface. Where the world will that come from? Deep on the inside of me because this stuff's never been cleaned up in my recovery. I went through the steps. I've had an experience. I went to a lot of meetings. I've heard a lot of good things. We're hugging and kissing and we're doing all of this and having a real good time. But whenever I go home, I'm very lonely and I'm very sad and I'm very depressed and I don't feel very good. And, and all this stuff starts coming to the surface. I start thinking about this all-powerful guiding creative intelligence. And then immediately, it's almost like self takes over my thoughts and laboriously sets out to convince me that it isn't so. And I'll listen to that voice. I will. It's just unbelievable. We read wordy books. God, my, we used to sit around, read the big book, and argue about what it meant and what it said, when we ought to be doing what it was asking us to do so that we could have an experience where we didn't have to. I've, I've never had to argue the truth. I remember walked in one night, I asked a guy, he was standing there, I said, hey, man, you want to read how it works tonight? He said, no, I don't. I said, well, that's strange. You're not willing to go any length for you? He said, don't start that with me. He said, I don't want to read how it works from behind the podium tonight in front of these people. I said, are you afraid? He said, son, I've never been afraid of something that I was not going to do, and I am not going to do that. <laughs> so it's like, okay. So when I read wordy books like this one, I can come up with all kinds of ideas about what it says, and then somebody comes along that really has a good, solid message of recovery, and it kind of takes the windy argument out of me. It really does. But it says we read wordy books, we indulge in windy arguments, thinking. There's the key word right there, thinking. We believe this universe needs no God to explain it. Why would I even think something like that? Well, what I come to find out is not me doing that type of thinking. And I'm going to see that more and more as I move through this process. Were contentions true, it would follow that life originated out of nothing, means nothing, and proceeds nowhere. One thing I've learned as a Native American, especially in the last year, probably year and a half, is that everything that God created has spirit and everything that man created does not. And that was hard for me to wrap my mind around at first, that everything God created, I'm talking from a blade of grass to a plant to a tree to a branch to a leaf to the sky to the animals, and really, I have been blessed to have a man in my life that really continues to point that to me, to where I can try to connect with that life source. And I see now that life did originate out of everything. It means everything, and it proceeds everywhere. So my, what's changed about all that? My ideas, my beliefs. Wow. It's just beautiful. So instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, spearheads of God's ever-advancing creation, and look at those two words, ever-advancing. If God's creation is ever-advancing, and that's true, then it can really, it can be never-ending if it's ever-advancing. And that's something that I really had to set with one time. Because I was always told that one day this, and one day that. And, you know, I get caught up in the one of these days. Instead of really, really paying attention to God's ever-advancing creation, it says we agnostics and atheists chose to believe. Now, here's my choice in belief. 
when it comes to acting out and drinking and do the things that I do, I may not have a choice whether or not I do that based on how deep I am into my illness. But I guarantee you at this point of the work, we're going to start looking at some choices <laughs> that we get to make. And it it's not going to have anything to do with any of that. So it says, we agnostics and atheists chose to believe that our human intelligence was the last word. That's insane based on my experience. Why would I believe that? The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end of all, rather vain, wasn't it? And over and over and over, I continue to use that prayer. God, please set aside everything I think I know. You hear that over and over, but there's another prayer that I love so well. It was given to me a couple of years ago, and I like to use this prayer a lot. It says, God, remove the veil that I may see what is really happening and that I may not be intoxicated by stories and fears. And the more I prayed that prayer and the more I went through this work, more and more and more the veil began to be lifted. And what I began to see was this self and the way that it dominated me through my thinking and through my beliefs and how it beat me up in my sobriety and brought me to the point of bankruptcy. By God's grace, it didn't take me to drink, but it took me to run with sexual acting out. And so I needed a new experience. And in order to do that, the veil needed to be relit to be lifted. And in order for it to be lifted, I needed to pray for it to be lifted. So that's a very, very, very good prayer. I've passed that along to a lot of people, many on this meeting. Well, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end of all, rather vain of us, wasn't it? We who have traveled this dubious path beg you to lay aside prejudice. There's those old ideas. They beg us all the way across to lay these aside, lay these aside. You can't have a new experience without it. You just can't. Yesterday, miracle is not sufficient today. I can't stay clean on yesterday's shower. I have to have a different one today. I just do. So it says even against organized religion. Now, here was a big one for me because whenever I sobered up and I began to have some truth realities come to me in this experience, self came back to me very resentful about religion and what it had taught me all those years, even though it's the one that, that set me up to go there <laughs> and to listen to that. So. You know, I had a lot of old ideas about religion. I had to ask for those to be set aside. I love this. We learned whatever the human frailty of those various faiths may be, those faiths have given purpose and direction to millions. When I looked at my mother, my little mom, she still goes to the Pentecostal church to this day, and they still hold their hands up, and they all scream, and they all hoop, and they have a good time, and they praise God. And the way that they praise God, and I'm sitting over there miserable just saying, look at those people. Just look at that crap going on. I mean, just all of this. But you know what? If I would have paid a little closer attention to that, I don't care what the frailties of those faith and those people may have been. They were living a life far beyond mine because they wasn't going home, clicking on the Internet until it, it brought some type of temporary relief. They wasn't drinking themselves to death at the bar at night. They wasn't showing up at the drug house with the rent money that ought to be coming home to the wife and the kids. They were living a life that was much better. They had been given purpose. They had given direction. And they had a logical idea, keyword, logical idea. I had an idea. It wasn't very logical. But they have a logical idea of what life is all about. So actually, we used to have no reasonable conception at all. I love how it says we used to. I don't anymore, but yeah, I used to. I used to didn't have one either. Reasonable conception. So all through here, we've talked about beliefs, ideas, conceptions, attitudes, emotions, all all of this stuff. 
we used to amuse ourselves by cynically dissecting spiritual beliefs and practices when we might have observed that many spiritually minded persons, like my mother, like her pastor, about a lot of the people in the different churches, in the native communities, and the way they would dance around with all them feathers and all them colors, and I'm sitting in the crowd just dogging. You know, I might have observed that those people of all races, colors, and creeds were demonstrating a degree of stability. I was very unstable at this time in my life. They were demonstrating happiness, usefulness, in a way that I should have sought for my own self. How could I not see that? My question here becomes this at the end of this page. Do I have purpose and direction? Even in my sobriety all these years later, what is my purpose and my direction today? When we get to page 47 of the book, we, I'm 77 of the book, we really begin to see what that is. But there's a lot of work between here and there. Well, instead, I looked at the human defects of these people. I did that to a pastor one time. I baited him just to see if he would follow along with, with what I was laying down there. They had rented a new building. And I asked if I could hold an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting in the basement of the church. He didn't know anything about Alcoholics Anonymous, so he was very unsure about that. He didn't know if he wanted a bunch of drunks and addicts in his church. Couldn't blame him, based on the life we live. Well, I began to dog him immediately in front of the, the whole crowd. You know, here's this man supposed to be so open-minded, believes in God, wants to help his fellow man, but he's not going to help us. And so many amends I've had to go back and make like that. I caught that man. He ended up having a stroke, and he went in, and he started getting some dementia. Before he got very bad, through this program and through this process, I was able to go back and make amends to that man. And today, every time I see him, it's a happy experience, and I'm glad for that. So I used uh, his shortcomings as a basis of whole self-condemnation. We talk of intolerance while we're intolerant ourselves. Anybody ever do that with their husband? What about with your wife while you're sober? going through you're having a great experience with god and something happens one day and man we just become intolerant of everything i'm sure i'm the only one probably guilty of that but i can tell you that if we're not very careful we can suffer from this even inside of the experience we miss the reality and the beauty of the force because we're diverted by the ugliness of some of his trees i can't see how beautiful that forest is there's all these trees in it and it's blocking the view and i can't see any of that what I forget is there's beauty in the trees because everything that life God created has spirit. Everything that man created does not. The trees have spirit. And today I see that. I'm able to connect with that when I'm in nature today. And that has become a very big part of my experience. It just has. So I don't have to worry about the, the beauty of the forest because I see the beauty of the trees. Therefore, I see the beauty of the forest. It wasn't always that way. I didn't always see my brother in this beauty. All I could see was his defects of character and what he was and wasn't doing. I wasn't paying attention to what he is in God. It's, things have changed, <laughs> thankfully. It says we never gave the spiritual side of life a fair hearing. Never. Never gave it a fair hearing. For one thing, I didn't know how. And my mind was already made up. I had prayed to God when I was little that the things wouldn't happen to me that happened to me when I was a little boy. And, uh, and those things happened. My mother was beaten regularly by my stepdad and myself as well, and I prayed for help, and it never came. So when they come to me and talk to me about a loving God and a father who loves me, I couldn't accept that. I just couldn't. 
based on what I had learned about a father. My brother ran off from that insanity. That was the only protection I had. And when I was eight years old, he ran off. He was 14. And he was able to stand up and to defend me. And I felt pretty safe when he was there. But he took off and he left me. So don't come to me and talk to me about God being my brother. Don't talk to me about God being my daddy. I got to start at a much, much simpler level than that. And for me, this chapter is what laid that out. So it says in our personal stories, you'll find a wide variation in the way each teller approaches and conceives the power. That's all we're looking to do here. We're looking to disregard a lot of these old ideas and beliefs, and we're looking to connect with this power, which is greater than self. Now, whether I agree with a particular approach or a conception seems to make a little difference. See, I never knew that. I thought I only had to believe one way, and if I didn't believe that way, that was it. I was doomed to hell for the rest of my life. Either that's what I heard or that's what I was told. Either way, that's what I believe. I don't believe that anymore. And what has happened is I've had an experience with this power now, and that has done for me what I could never do for me. Experience has taught me. Wow. And that's what the first 100 people are writing about in this book. That these are matters for by which, for our purpose, and remember that question at the end of, what was that, 46 or 7 there, what is my purpose? It keeps coming back to that. We need not be worried. These are questions for each individual to settle for himself. So for me, whenever I would be praying and somebody would come along and grab a hold of my back and they would pray with me, I mean, that's very good that they were encouraging me, but really this is between me and a power greater than myself. Whenever I take somebody through this book and through this work, it's not my experience to have, it's theirs. And I've been guilty of grabbing a hold of people when they had a whole lot of problems and trying to stand in the way of that and not let them suffer the effects of some of that. I've taken that on my own self. I've learned a very good lesson from that, and I don't do that <laughs> so much anymore. I'm not the savior for anyone. I'm just the vessel, and I want to try to walk people through this work and to help them have an experience. Well, on one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed. Look at what this says. Every one of them has gained access to it. Every one of them. Wow. Man, what a promise. That every one of us that are on this meeting tonight, and everybody that will hear this tape to come, if we do this process the way it's outlined in this book, every one of us probably on here that have been through this will strikingly agree that we can gain access to and believe in a power greater than self. Wow. That's just almost too much to even <laughs> to even bring to my mind. Is That's powerful. But it says this power. See, it doesn't matter what you term it. Call it God if you want. Call it creator if you want. Call it power if you want. Call it whatever you want. That's a term. We're talking about power. If I am powerless, I need power. If I am insane, even inside of sobriety, I need sanity. Step two becomes the solution. Once the problem, the rest of the 10 steps keep me in the solution. We've talked about this over and over. So this power has in each case, not in just a few of them, not in one or two of them, accomplished the miraculous. That's beautiful. Not just to get sober, to have an experience with this spirit, with this power, and be able to walk a free man. I was sitting in a meeting the other day, and I heard a man say, we don't really come here to get sober. That's not the promise. 
And I thought, well, that's, that's strange. I mean, I knew where he was going with it, but I thought, well, that's strange. He said, really, what we do is we come here to have an experience with this power and sobriety is the reward. <laughs> yeah, that makes more sense. If I come here for sobriety, I can tell you and you're able to leave here tonight and never come back. Just don't drink, don't act out anymore. But every time you take that out of your system, if something shows up insane and very, very bad, it begins to drive you back in that direction some way or another. Then we've got the car before the horse. We're looking at the wrong thing. Well, let's look at the record. It says, here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed. We see that in our fellowship. We see that in our world. They flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, step two, they have begun to take a certain attitude toward that power, step three, to do certain simple things, steps four through 12. And if we do that in that order, as outlined in this book, look at what the great promise is behind this. There has been a revolutionary change in our way of thinking and living. It doesn't say anything about drinking, drugging, sobriety. This comes first, and the result is that we get freedom. Wow, I love this. So in the face of collapse and despair, that's the second half of step one, the unmanageability of my life. In the face of the total failure of their human resources, that's the first half of step one, and I've heard it put this way. The first half of step one is what's brought me here. It's the last half of it what keeps me here. And I absolutely believe that the unmanageability of my life will return, even sober. If I'm not working and practicing these principles, it'll drive me to a place to where I will have a new experience or else. <laughs> or else. And that's been, my, that's been my experience. But it says here, that we found a new power and peace and happiness and sense of direction flowed into them. And that's beautiful. One of my prayers a lot of times before I speak at any kind of circuit event is God speak to me and through me and, and let your spirit flow through me into the crowd and reach whoever it may and just help me to keep my mind open and my mouth shut and let you do the talking. I open my mouth. I pray your words will come. Please let your spirit flow into me outward to them and it's you know just a list of prayers that i have before i do but look what it says this happened soon after not a whole lot of time before not sitting around in the fellowship thinking about it not sitting around in church thinking about how one of these days this is going to be better one of these days i'm going to get over here and there no i'm here now and this is going to happen soon after i'm wholeheartedly meet a few simple requirements which is steps three through twelve once confused and baffled by the seemingly futility of an existence, anybody ever feel baffled by that? They show the underlying reasons why they were making heavy going of life, leaving aside the drink question. Take away the acting out. Take away the drinking. Take away the drug. Take away all the stories and answer this one question. Why was I making such a heavy going out of life? And what you're going to see is that there's something on the inside of our mind that takes over us and begins to dominate us. And we've come to know this as the self. And when it does that, it drives us to a point of destruction, whether we're drinking or not. So why am I making heavy going out of life? Because I don't know how to live any other way. It's the only way I know how to live. 
So there has to be a power greater than me that can restore my sanity in these areas. Well, let me finish off this paragraph and we'll stop. They tell why living was so unsatisfactory, not drinking, not any of that stuff. Why was living so unsatisfactory? When I look at the unmanageability of my life, the second half of step one, and when I take a really close look at that through this work, that's going to tell me why living was so unsatisfactory. They show, not just sit around a meeting and talk about it. They show how the change come over them. And if I can't do that with a man in this book, then there's no point in me trying to sponsor a man because I'm giving him old ideas. It's time that we unlearn the things that we learn from those who were wounded, even inside the fellowship. They show how the change come over when many hundreds of people are able to say today that the consciousness of the presence of God today, right now, is the most important fact of our lives. They present a powerful reason why one should have faith. We're going to be looking at faith in, in the next few weeks to come. Now, you may say, yeah, I have a lot of faith in God. We're going to look at where we put our faith in another kind of God. And when we didn't even know this was happening. But all of this insanity and all of this craziness that I've been living by, even in recovery, even in sobriety, came to me as a result of where I had put my faith without even knowing it. My God, scared the hell out of me. Reading the rest of this book, there better be a power greater than me, and he better be able to restore me to sanity. I'm a walking dead man inside of the fellowship, and I guarantee it will come back many years later to haunt you like it did me. 24 years later, I find myself laying in the floor like I did the first day I ever showed up. I hadn't had a drink or a drug in all those years, and I'm dying from self, and I don't even know what's wrong with me. I'm praying to God, and I'm not getting any answers. I come to find out that all my reasoning had become my God. Wow. I put my faith there. So if I change my ideas, could it be possible that I could change my faith as well? Yeah, I think so. Thank you, everybody, for letting me share. Good to see you tonight. Thanks. This concludes David's share on tonight's chapter, but we encourage you to keep listening as he answers questions from the audience and shares additional experience, strength, and hope. Hi, my name is Ralph, uh, grateful recovering everything holic. Um, when I first came to AA, um, I had a problem with the religious gods that I hated because of the way people perceived them to me. Um, and the first two paragraphs on page 47 and uh, the spiritual experience uh, section in the back of the book uh, really helped me. Um, and I've been trying to help others that uh, are having a uh, problem with uh, God or having a misunderstanding of God. Is there any other section of the big book that uh, may be helpful in that area. Thank you, Ralph. It's good to hear you tonight, brother. I think there are many all the way through here. I think it's really looking at what I do believe, questioning that, and beginning to ask myself, you know, does this make sense to me today? Is this something that I'm able to change? I think the biggest reason that most of us is unable to change belief is fear. Uh, we'll see examples of that next week with Columbus and all that stuff. But I don't know. For me, I don't really so much try to change that belief for the guys that I work with. 
I just present this evidence right here and let them check that out for themselves. And uh, I, I think the set aside prayer is very good in that. You mentioned page 47 in that first full paragraph. Really, the, other than, you know, the spiritual terms, there's also another exercise right there. And in meditation, I was asked, I was asked to draw a blank box right there in my margin on the first full paragraph in, on page 47. And I was to sit and meditate with what my conception of God would be and write it in that box. But here was the key. I couldn't use anything that I'd ever read, anything that anyone had ever told me, nothing I'd ever heard on a tape, nothing that any of the elders had. I, this had to be my conception. And I can tell you that box stayed blank for about 17 years until I got tired of seeing it blank. And one day I just wrote in their power. Well, that comes from this book. So really, that's not my conception to begin with. I mean, it may be today, but for me to come up with one on my own, it's almost like my ego completely has me blocked from that. So I think the study and, and the revelation of this chapter is very deep. I think that this will come to us. In fact, this chapter will promise it at the end. So thank you, Ralph. Good to hear you, buddy. Thank you, David. David, we did have one question that was in the chat um, that I think will be good for the group is, would you mind repeating the veil prayer? And I also thought I heard you mention on page 58 that there was a protection prayer. Um, so if you wouldn't mind sharing those quickly and then we'll wrap up. Sure, Ashley. And again, thank you for your service. The veil prayer is, please remove the veil that I may see what is really happening and not be intoxicated by stories, by fears. And I said page 58, but actually it is page 59 in our book where it says half measures of veil, there's nothing we stood at the turning point. It says we asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Now I'd read that for so long. Before it dawned on me, those two words we asked, that's a prayer. And so every morning, I now call this the protection prayer. Now, I have one that I use in the Native American world. And unfortunately, I'm not able to share that with anyone, at least for a long time. So I thought, well, there has to be one that I can use inside of the book and share. And here it is. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Now, I'm not asking that for the things from the outside of me, not to get me on. Uh, I'm saying that now looking at the things on the inside of me that always come back and defeat me. The very next sentence says, here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery, not sobriety recovery. We've talked about that here tonight. A lot of people say that the steps, you know, are a part of the program. It tells me right there, the steps are the program. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery, not part of it. So there's so many things here that we can do, but that protection prayer is a very beautiful one. And the one that I'm not able to share with you, trust me when I say that I pray that over this group all the time and others as well. So thanks so much. And, and if I went too fast for any of that, please join our WhatsApp group. Let us know. Ashley would be able to, to do this as well. Dennis, some of the other people that I've shared this prayer with as we went through this work, there's lots and lots and lots of prayers that we have. We'll be looking at going, going forward. So anyway, thanks again.